Good morning. Welcome to Alliance. My name is Michael. It's a good thing to be with you this morning. Uh, many of you know, you know Scott, our, our senior pastor, has just left for a three-month sabbatical. He just flew out to Alaska a couple of days ago. So if you have a personal, a pastoral emergency, go to Alaska somewhere. You can find him. <laughs> That was awesome. Josh Hayes and I have the privilege of filling the pulpit this summer quite a bit. So we're going to begin an eight-week series on the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. As you're making your way over there, I'm sure you're thinking in your head, what, wait a minute, you have an opportunity to preach several weeks in a row and you pick the book of Proverbs? <laughs> what are you thinking? That's the question I've been asking myself the past few months. What am I thinking? I have sticky notes and Evernote files all over the place that are loaded with ideas for sermons and sermon series. Some people collect stamps. I collect sermon ideas. That's just what I do as a hobby. That, that might be good. Um, and so a few months ago, when I found out that I'd have the opportunity to preach for the summer, I started getting some of these out and, and, and floating a few ideas, thinking through some, praying through ideas. What would the Lord have me preach this summer? And for whatever reason, this idea took root and it began to grow and develop. I came to this book with lots of questions. I, I have more questions now that I've been studying, but as I've immersed myself into the book of Proverbs over the past few months, I've developed a passion, even an urgency to preach this book. Very excited to join um, with you to study the book of Proverbs. We live in a world that is saturated with information and data, but it is starved for wisdom. There's a, a, a dramatic shortage of wisdom. The church needs to hear and apply these eternal words of wisdom that are recorded for us in the book of Proverbs. Before we jump in, let me just say a note about this. This is our, uh, our sermon series, kind of uh, the branding for it. We, we have the awesome privilege to have Steve Colley work his magic behind the scenes. A lot of work goes into these. And uh, this is one of my favorites of all time that Steve has done. It kind of, it, it grasps the major theme of the book. How, how do we navigate life? God gives us wisdom to navigate life. And so we have a, an awesome Lord of the Rings kind of map. We loaded this with Easter eggs. There, most of these are in there. You won't find Folly Bay, but there's a lot of them in there that are, that, that and like they have references. So here's a challenge. If you're 18 or younger and you can find all these references without using Google or your grandpa, all right? Um, well, tell me, just come and bring it to me and we'll work out something. So there's that awesome, awesome uh, uh, bulletin. So there we go. A few weeks ago, Disney re-released one of their all-time greatest hits, the 1990s classic Aladdin. This movie dominated the box office in 92 and it's dominating the box office again. For whatever reason, modern people are drawn to this ancient story, at least the Disney version with an awesome soundtrack and a magic carpet ride. What, for whatever reason, we, we connect with this. And I would imagine that the question that most of us ask when we watch Aladdin is this, what would I do if I were granted three wishes? And you can't ask for more wishes, you know that. What would you do if you had three wishes? What would you, what would you wish for? I bet most of you are thinking through, oh, I know what I'd wish for, you know, money, lots of money. Money can buy you out of any problem, can it? Or at least we think it could. We, we would maybe get money. Maybe we would wish for a success or a job or power. Maybe, maybe you think more in the terms of affection. Maybe I just want a friend or, or a husband or a wife. Maybe you would wish for a relationship to be healed. That would be nice, wouldn't it? If we had a wish. If you can believe it, this scenario is actually in the Bible. Not the 10,000-year-old genie hiding in a cave. That's not in the Bible. Don't look for that. But there is a story where God approached a man 
and said, what do you, what do you want? I'll give you anything. You can find this in 1 Kings chapter 3. God approached the newly enthroned King Solomon and he offered to give him anything he wanted. Think about this. The kingdom is kind of being torn apart. There wasn't a clear succession and so it's being torn apart. But God comes to Solomon and he goes, what do you want? What an amazing opportunity for King Solomon. He could have just wished for power. Give me power, God. Let me just... Uh, thump the enemy. Can you imagine the uh, benefits of having um, to, to be able to reign without threat of invasion or attack or internal insecurity? He could have asked for unlimited money. Imagine that for a king to be able to go to bed at night, not having to worry about how your people would be fed and taken care of. He could have asked for unlimited favor. What, what a blessing it would have been for Solomon he had the ability to rule a people that perfectly loved and respected him. Solomon could have asked for a lot of things that would have made life easy for him, but he didn't do that. What did he ask for? Wisdom. I never understood that as a kid. Like, what? You had, a, you had one wish and you asked for wisdom? Come on, Solomon. But if you read the text, it's a really a moving text. He's, he essentially said, God, I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm a little kid. I can't govern this people. The weight of leading this people is above me. Give me wisdom so that I can govern this people with skill. That's what he asked for. The Bible said that this request pleased the Lord. In fact, it pleased him so much that God went ahead and granted him wisdom, but not only wisdom, he also got riches and honor as well. This request pleased God. It's a request that God loves to grant. Why did Solomon ask for wisdom? Have you ever thought about that? I can't answer for sure, but here's a thought. Solomon grew up in one of the most, the homes of one of the most brilliant men that has ever walked this planet. His dad was King David. King David was a wild and passionate man. And the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. King David feared the Lord and he had an incredible life. He walked through triumph and he walked through tragedy. He killed a giant and he killed one of his best friends. He was crowned with honor and he won the hearts of the people and he walked out of the city in shame, being betrayed by his own family. David lived a brilliant and beautiful life and every story of David's life transformed his character and a man into a man after God's own heart. And so when Solomon had a chance to get one thing, he didn't ask for a shortcut around wisdom, which is most of what our wishes are, aren't they? Lord, just give me a pile of money so I don't have to mess with life anymore. Just give me everybody's unlimited favor so that I don't have to worry and put on this show. Solomon asked for wisdom so he can cut through the chaos of life. Again, this is a request that God loves to grant. He included an entire book of our Bible to help us develop wisdom so that we too can navigate the chaos of life. That's an incredible thing. Your life is complex. Whether you're rich or poor, weak or strong, whatever you are, your life has problems. You can't get away from it. You get caught up in impossible situations. And in those moments, you're always tempted to look for a shortcut. Maybe the lottery <laughs> will get me out of this mess. Maybe I could just numb the pain. We're always looking for ways to get out of the chaos. Don't do it. 
Don't try to get around it. God has given this, this brilliant book of wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us navigate life. And so here we are. We're the book of Proverbs. Let's look at the first seven verses. We're just going to serve as the introduction for the rest of the book. So Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven. Let's jump in. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to your word this morning. We as your church have gathered here under the authority of your word and we are hungry for life. We come empty. We don't want to stand in authority over this book. We want to submit underneath the authority of this, of this book. Solomon wrote this, but we know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit for our good, for our instruction. And so open up our hearts to receive whatever word you would have for us this morning. And I pray that at the end of this message, we would look to Jesus, our mentor, and our Savior, and our Lord, that we would submit everything that we have to him. Would you be with us this morning, God? In Jesus' name, amen. So in a few weeks, we're gonna discover that one of the marks of wisdom is an ability to budget your speech. Fools go on and on and on, but wise people know how to restrain the tongue. And Solomon here will display that ability perfectly by packing a ton of information into seven short verses. Here's what Solomon articulated in these first seven verses. You ready? This is our outline. This is how we're going to work through the text this morning. First, Solomon will tell us what the prize of the book is. When you wrestle with the Proverbs, what are you going to get? That's in the text. Second, who is this book written to? Who should read it? Third, how should you read it? That's the genre of the book. And then fourth, the motto of the book, and really everything hangs on that fourth point, verse seven. But let's work through this. Solomon will show us the prize of the book. What do you get when you wrestle with the Proverbs? Very simply in verses two and three, Solomon assembled this collection of writings so that the chosen people of God would know wisdom and knowledge and instruction. This is a gift for God's people. If you're looking for wisdom or for, for riches, for fame, for power. Don't come to the book of Proverbs to try to get that. That's not the prize of the book. The prize of the book is wisdom. But what does that mean? We've talked about wisdom quite a bit. We should define it because when I say wisdom, I imagine everybody has a different thought in their head. A different person comes to mind. Maybe you think of the owl and Winnie the Pooh. Hey, everybody's got a problem. What do they do when they have a problem? The owl will know, right? Of course he doesn't know, but hey, the owl knows. Maybe a wise person is somebody that everybody goes to that always has an answer. Maybe it is someone like Einstein, just a brilliant scholar that's clearly working on a different level. Is that the prize of the book of Proverbs? Maybe it's Siri or Alexa. They seem to know a lot of stuff, even though half the time they're wrong. Can I get an amen? They don't know what they're talking about. The word for wisdom in Hebrew 
is a, a word that's pronounced chokmah. Are you ready for that? Don't say it if you have a cold. You might get some fluid, un, undesired fluid. Chokmah, say it with me, church. Chokmah, there we go. Does any, uh, the, uh, the Bible actually gives us an example of two men that were filled with this wisdom, this chokmah. Anybody know? Two people. You don't know? You don't remember? Bezalel and Aholiab. Does that help you out? Like, oh yeah, Bezalel. Yeah, he was filled with wisdom. These were the two men that were described in uh, Exodus chapter 31. If you remember, God had just given blueprints for the tabernacle and it was an intricate design, but he didn't just say, y'all figure it out. He said, no, 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 no. I'm gonna fill two men with chokmah and they will build the tabernacle. And so that word wisdom, which is here in Proverbs, is actually translated as skill. So wisdom is not something in your head, data, knowledge. It's not somebody that's sitting in the back office that just has everything figured out. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Skill. Solomon did not write this book so that Israel could produce viable Jeopardy candidates or be the most technologically developed nation on the face of the world. No, he wrote this book so that people could skillfully navigate the complexities of life, like somebody cooking up a, a fine meal. Or like Andy Handen working that bass, man. He's just, he just keeps playing that skillfully. That's how, that's the word here. Somebody that can do that for life. That's pretty cool. It would be good for us to take a step back and acknowledge how incredible this is. God has included this in, an entire book of the Bible to help us live well. That's brilliant. We wouldn't need the book of Proverbs if life were filled with simple, black and white, right and wrong decisions, would we? But life isn't filled with simple, right and wrong, black and white, easy, clear-cut decisions. For instance, I've never been in a prayer meeting where you're going around taking prayer requests and you get to somebody and they go, hey, I, I really need some prayer. Oh, what's, up? what's going on? Well, I'm struggling at work with my boss. I'm just having a really hard time and I'm trying to decide if I need to murder him or not. <laughs> Can you please pray for me? Life isn't filled with those kind of dilemmas, is it? I hope not, I hope not. If your life is filled with those kind of dilemmas, don't go to the Proverbs, go to the 10 Commandments and find that don't kill him. Don't do that, okay? That's not a good thing. We're usually confronted with far more complex, really impossible decisions. I have two options staring me down. Neither of them are right. But, but either one of these decisions will drastically impact my life and my family, my well-being. What do I do? How do, how do I respond to this person in my life? There just are not always clear-cut answers. I would imagine that most of us in this room is wrestling through a situation like that right now. Church, we need God's wisdom. God has given us an entire book of the Bible, really an entire genre if you include Ecclesiastes and Job, Proverbs, to help us navigate problems of life. We don't need to plug our ears to this book because it's in the Old Testament or because it's confusing or it's hard to read sometimes. Jesus showed us what a wise life looks like. He perfectly fulfilled this text. And then he gave us the spirit of wisdom to help us apply the words of this book, to live beautiful lives. If we pour our, our, our lives into this book, into learning wisdom, we can learn how to build godly families. 
We can sustain Christ-exalting relationships. We can get out ahead of our finances. We can be wise with our speech. This book is for the church because this is where you're at, is it not? But here's the great thing. This book is not just for us. The prize of wisdom is not just so that we can get our life straight and not have to worry about anything else. The prize for this book is also for our lost and dying neighbors. As I said a moment ago, or at the beginning of this, we live in a world that is full of data and knowledge, but it is short on wisdom. I think there is an entire generation of people that are coming of age right now that are desperate to know how to live life. They were raised maybe in broken homes. They were raised with unfiltered technology. They were just given stuff. And now as they rise into adulthood, they want a meaningful life. They don't want to just keep indulging in the same old stuff. They want wisdom. They don't know it, but they're starving for chokmah. That's what our neighbors are looking for. And if you pay attention, you'd actually notice that our, our secular world is catching up with this and there's lots of products designed to help them with the practical skills of life. There's actually a Netflix show that will teach you how to tidy up your house and fold laundry. There's like a method to folding laundry. I, some of you know what I'm talking about. There are podcasts on how to manage your schedule and how to live well. The world is offering it to them, but they don't have the wisdom of God. We as a church can offer this. When, 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 when these people, when this growing generation sees a life that works, and even better, a community of people that have embraced God's way, a beautiful Christ-exalting lifestyle, I would say they'd be incredibly compelled. And so wisdom is not just for you. It's for your lost and dying neighbors. If God has given you the ability to put together a meal, and to to manage a family, and and the blessings of a dinner table, and you have an extra seat, invite someone in. There are people in our town that are eaten up with loneliness that are craving to see that kind of wisdom played out. Don't let them find it on Netflix. Let them find it at your dinner table. That's the prize of the book. Second, Solomon will tell us now the audience of the book. Who did he write this? Who did he have in mind when he wrote this? Look at verses four and five. Solomon wrote this to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and understand in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance. The book of Proverbs is specifically written as a training manual for youth. It's one of the other reasons why the book of Proverbs is so unique. Most of the Old Testament was written for the temple or the synagogue to be discussed among the people when they gathered together. But the book of Proverbs was designed for the dining room table. It's actually an extended conversation between a father and son. If you read through it, you're gonna hear that. Listen, my son, listen, my son. If you are currently raising children, the book of Proverbs is an indispensable book for you and your family. I don't know how you could think about trying to make it through raising a family without the wisdom of Proverbs. It has been a resource for God's people for thousands of years. If you are a child, You need to listen to the book of Proverbs. This book is specifically for you. We're not waiting for you to become adults to practice your spirituality. The book of Proverbs is for you. The Proverbs contain time-tested and divinely inspired words that will form and instruct children. And as much as our world would disagree, children need to be formed and instructed. They're not blank slates. 
We should not simply wait for them to arrive to adulthood to to express their identity and to show the world what they have. That's not the case. Proverbs 22, 15 says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. We'll get to the rod in a few weeks on a family worship Sunday. We'll talk about the rod then. (laughs) According to the Bible, children enter our world deeply flawed. And if we leave them to themselves, they will choose the path of destruction. Just the way it goes. If we want them to gain wisdom, and we should because we love them, we will train them. Kids, if you're listening to me right now, I know you're uncomfortable with me. You're like, dude, don't stop talking about the rod. Stop it. (laughs) Listen, the Bible has words for you. If you want to live, listen to your parents. But did you catch a secondary audience? Verse five, Solomon calls the attention of those who are already wise. It's not just the children that he wants to listen, it's it's everybody in the community that is exposed to the book of Proverbs. He wants the wise people to listen so that they can increase in learning. When the parents and grandparents and Sunday school teachers have the privilege of teaching a child the good news of Jesus Christ, they learn wisdom themselves. They learn something in gain. This is the brilliant thing about wisdom. You, you can never get enough because wisdom is a characteristic of God. It is an unlimited resource. The more you know, the more you taste, the more you will want to taste, the more you will want to know. We will never get there. And so I hope that nobody in this room comes in thinking, I mastered the Proverbs a decade ago. <laughs> you didn't. I don't think there will ever be a moment in our eternity where we can say, got enough. I finally figured it all out. You know why? Because if you can believe it, the wisdom of God never runs out. Listen to this famous doxology in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God's wisdom is for every person in every stage of life. And we will always be leaning into God and learning more and more and more. Third, let's look at the genre of the book. So far we have seen that the prize of the book is wisdom. A a skillful, beautiful life. We've seen that wisdom should be cherished by young people and old people alike. And Solomon will now tell us how to read the book. This is an important part. Look at verse six. He says that the book is filled with proverbs, sayings, words of the wise, and riddles. Once again, this is different than a lot of the other books in the Old Testament that you'll come across. You go to the the law, the first five books of the Bible, you will hear Moses say words like, thou shalt not. It's authoritative, it's definitive. As you read through the prophets, you'll hear Isaiah and Jeremiah say, thus says the Lord. But when you get to the Proverbs, you will hear Solomon go, think about this. It's a little bit different. Here's the brilliant part about this. All three genres law, prophet, wisdom, all of them are inspired by God. 
all three genres will point us to Jesus and all three genres are equally authoritative in our lives. Just because Solomon says it in a different way, doesn't mean that you have the option to disobey. Look at verse 25. He says, because you have ignored my counsel and would have none of my reproof. It's counsel that needs to be obeyed. It's authoritative in our lives. But here's the trick. They get into our, our system in different ways. We learn it in different ways. The law and the prophets are pills that need to be swallowed. The Proverbs are riddles that need to be chewed on. It's a different way to in, engage with the information. Some of you are gonna love this series and some of you are gonna struggle through this series because you have a preferred learning style. Some of you like television shows like Lost where you just get lost in the tension. You just love shows that like leave you with a cliffhanger and you're like, oh, I love it. <laughs> more answer, more questions. Some of you like shows like Law and Order. It wraps up perfectly in 42 minutes and you can go to bed. You just turn off the TV and go, that was fun. You go to bed. Don't you dare leave me with a to be continued. I will quit on this show if you leave me with a to be continued because you like things to wrap up nice and orderly and some of you, we just process the world differently, but no matter your learning style, you need to engage with the Proverbs. This book is so great because it invites you into the learning process. And if you've never engaged with the Bible this way, you are in for a treat. The more you wrestle with Proverbs, the more you get. It's like a little statement that can just sit in your head for a decade and then you go, that's what it means. You just wrestle with it and wrestle with it and wrestle with it and God, gives you that wisdom over time. It's a brilliant thing. Let me give you a classic example of how the, the Proverbs can be frustrating and brilliant at the same breath. And this is a classic example. If you've ever studied the Proverbs, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not familiar with this verse, I'm about to blow your mind. You ready for this? Proverbs chapter 26. This is not a typo. Look at this. Proverbs 26 verses four and five. These verses are literally right next to each other. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. What? <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. Which one is it, Solomon? Do I answer the fool or do I not answer the fool? You gotta help me out. If you read these words like you would a law, your mind will literally explode. You, you will just like go into a trance and you, somebody will have to shake you out of it. But it's not a law, it's a proverb. And it's designed to be read differently. And you should be glad that this text is in the Bible. This shouldn't freak you out and go, oh, wait, 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 there's a contradiction. You should be glad that this is in the Bible because life is filled with questions like this, is it not? Should I engage? Should I write the email or should I not write the email? I bet some of you right now have a draft in your inbox and you're, you're just hovering that mouse over the send button. Mm -mm, mm -mm, I don't know. <laughs> should I do it? Should I not do it? I've been there. I, I'm there weekly. Should you engage? Should you not? Should I have the conversation or should I just let it rest? The book of Proverbs won't tell you what to do with your email, but here's what it does tell you. This is brilliant. You need to have more than one emotional tool in your emotional toolbox. If you engage every time and you are an email fanatic and you just, guess what? You're a fool. That's what the Bible says. If you just engage fools every single time, you will be sucked into the foolishness. 
If you resist every time, some of you are like that. I can't talk. I can't send an email. Guess what? You are a careless friend just watching your friends make a wreck of their lives. You need to have the ability to do both. The skillful person will know when to engage and when not to engage. As I reflected on this passage this week, it occurred to me that we don't have to just figure this out. Jesus modeled this perfectly. There were times in his ministry where foolish men trying to trip him up, came up to him and tried to just trap him in a theological question. Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You remember what he said? Give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and give to God that which belongs to God. They walked away and the crowds marveled at the wisdom of Jesus. He engaged them. But then a few days later, as he hung on a cross, foolish men would walk by at the foot of the cross going, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. Jesus was silent. Because to engage them in a theological debate there, he would have beat them, and he didn't need to beat them. He was there to die on a cross. And so he was silent, and he just let go. As we lean into our relationship with Jesus, we will be able to learn when to speak and when to let it go. And so the Proverbs bring us into the learning process. But I should note one more point about the genre before we move on. It doesn't work overnight. Like, I hope you're not getting too excited thinking, great, I can solve all my problems now. This is not an ancient form of Google where you like type in, let me see Solomon, how do I teach my kids to obey? You can go to Google and get like 18,000 articles on how do you get your kids to obey. This has better advice, but you can't just search for like an article on it. You gotta spend a lot of time in the Proverbs listening and applying, listening and applying. And over time, it will work into your system. It is a lifelong process. And so if you wanna learn Proverbs, you need to come to it often. As Proverbs 2 will say, you need to seek it like you seek silver. Seek it like you seek hidden treasures. I wanna read the book of Proverbs like my friend Jaden approaches his rock collection. The other day I was sitting with my friend Jaden on his couch and he pulled out his box of rocks and he pulled them out. And you know what the great thing about Jaden's rock collection is? There's not a boring rock in the box. Every single one of those rocks is beautiful and they are special. There's a stripe of color in it. It's rounded off really cool. This one's got like a unique feature there. It's got like a little dent. You know why Jaden knows his rocks so well? He loves them. And he spends time with them. And he can show me the rocks. That's how I want to read the Proverbs. So when I read through this, pull out every single one and go, this is how this, li- this word has shaped my life. This is how God used this to shape my life. He's already doing this as I'm diving into the text and I'm so excited. So the prize of the book is wisdom. God has given us the Proverbs to help us skillfully navigate the complexities of life. It's a brilliant book. And I hope you're excited about studying this this book. But before I send you home and have great conversations around your dinner table about how your, your life is gonna change now, I need to tell you something. This might get a little awkward. We call this elephant room part five. But I need to say it. You're not very good at life. You are not very good at life. 
and neither am I. You wanna know the truth? As I spent a week putting together a lesson on wisdom, I often felt lost. God's work can help us navigate life. I felt lost, overwhelmed, over my head. And you wanna know something else? If I'm being completely honest with you, I felt that way most of my life. And probably if you're being honest, you would say the same thing. We're gonna talk about navigating life when I keep crashing the boat. Some of you, man, as soon as you get on the right track, you make a bad decision, you fall into temptation, you hear the siren songs and you get distracted and you lose your way. And some of you came into this message so lost, you don't even know who you are anymore. To make matters worse, we live in a broken world. As soon as you string together a a couple of good weeks, a storm blows in and it drifts you off course. I would love it if our church could embrace wisdom and live beautiful, compelling, godly lives. And we all had wonderful families and we all financed well and we just spoke grace. And we could be a compelling witness to our community. But here's the truth. Our world is incredibly broken and so are we. It might be a good time to remind you that even King Solomon, the man that was granted divine wisdom, even he fell off the tracks. His life just ended in chaos. So if even King Solomon lost his way, do we have any hope? Do we have any hope? That's the question most of you are asking this morning. Yes, we do, and here's why. There is hope for you as we approach this book. God did not design you to figure it out on your own. It's not up to you to figure out how to live a compelling, beautiful life. It's not up to you. This was the sin of Adam and Eve, was it not? They reached out for the fruit because they thought that it could make them wise. I won't need God anymore. I can do it on my own. And they learned the hard way that you cannot live life apart from God. Seeking wisdom, they actually found death. Seeking wisdom, they found death. If you want to be wise, there is a way, but here's how you get there. You repent. You submit everything that you have to Jesus and worship him in reverent fear. That is our one path to wisdom. It's the final point of the sermon. It's actually spelled out in the text. Many years before Jesus got here, Solomon spelled it out in the text. It's crucial to understanding the Proverbs. Look at verse seven. All this wonderful thing about how to apply wisdom, but here is the hook of everything, the the motto of the book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You will not understand the book of Proverbs if you don't understand this verse. This is what separates Israel's wisdom tradition from other 
wisdom traditions and really from our secular world right now. They're trying to figure it out without God. Solomon brings people back to the fear of the Lord. You will not understand this book if you don't understand this verse and you will not understand your life if you don't understand this verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The Proverbs can teach you some powerful principles to help make your life better, but without the fear of God, it will all be a waste. You will make a mess of your life even as you try to apply wisdom and clean it up if you don't know the fear of the Lord. If you lay your life down and submit everything to Jesus, we just sing about all I am, you are all I need, Lord. If less of me means more of you, take it all. If you submit everything to Jesus, you will begin a journey to wisdom. More of Jesus in your life sounds like a good way to live. It's a paradox of the gospel, though. You will only learn to live a beautiful, compelling, wise life when you give yours up. Lay it down, the feet of Jesus. I want to close with a story. I had a bunch of illustrations earlier in the week on how to explain the fear of the Lord, but all of that was blindsided on, fr- on Friday. God messed all that up. I listened to a sermon on Mark chapter four and it completely wrecked me. And I was reminded that my goal this morning is not simply to teach you what the fear of the Lord means. If you have questions on that, we can talk later. My goal this morning is to show you Jesus so that you can fear him. That's why you've come to church this morning, I hope, is to be confronted with the awesome, terrifying glory of the eternal son of God and fall at his feet in worship. Mark chapter four. Let me just summarize this and we're done. Jesus had been preaching the entire day in parables, which is his version of Proverbs. Short stories bring us into the learning process. All throughout Mark 4, he's teaching and showing the disciples what a wise life looks like. But at the end of the day, something dramatic happens. They get into the boat. Jesus says, let's sail across in the middle of the night. Jesus knew what was coming, but he got him in the boat anyway. He's exhausted because he's been sleeping or he's been teaching all day. So he took a nap. He had a cushion and went into a deep, deep, deep sleep. The disciples were fine with that because they were fishermen. They knew how to get across the Sea of Galilee. They had skill. They had chokhmah. They they knew how to navigate that little pond. They'd done it a thousand times. Easy. But you know what happened. A storm came out of nowhere. It blindsided them. It was so powerful that the disciples thought they were going to die, even... The skilled fishermen thought they were going to die. If it's up to you, you've just not come across a storm yet. It'll blow you off course. Some of you came into this church this morning in that place. Some unexpected storm has blown into your life and you feel like you are going to die. You don't know the way forward. The storm clouds have fogged your future and you don't know where to go. It's hard to talk about navigating life and applying Proverbs when the boat is about to sink. But listen to the end of the story. The boat didn't sink. I want you to hear that. The boat didn't 
sink. The disciples ran to Jesus in desperation. Wake up, don't you care that we're about to die? Jesus woke up, listen to the text, Mark chapter four, 39 to 41. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. There was a great storm and now there was a great calm. That is the power of Jesus. Remember that as you're going through a storm, Jesus spoke, silenced it, and now there is a great calm. What did the disciples do? This is crucial for understanding this text. He looked at them and he said, why are you so afraid? Why are you still have little faith? And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so this morning I wanna simply ask you, when is the last time that you have been filled with great fear in the presence of Jesus? When is the last time that you have been filled with great fear in the presence of Jesus? Do you know who is in your boat? Are you content to go through life with Jesus sleeping? I got this figured out, I'll go to church. We'll be... No, Jesus is the sovereign son of God, the king of the entire universe, and he is in your boat. He has power over every situation that you are facing right now. If you want to know wisdom, and I hope that you do, fall on your face and reverently worship Jesus.